hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. We are going to continue our series this morning called Living Grace. Grace is the unique message of Christianity. During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. Was it the incarnation, you know, God becoming flesh? No, they decided. Other religions had stories of God's appearing in human form. Was it the resurrection? Powerful, central part to our faith. Again, they decided, no, it's not unique to Christianity. Other religions have stories of uh, return from death. The discussion went on for a while until a man by the name of C.S. Lewis walked through the door. And he said, guys, what's the ruckus about? What are you guys talking about? And they said, well, we're trying to figure out, is there anything about Christianity that is unique? And he went, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. Grace is is." The thing that is unique to Christianity. Other religions work on the performance reward system. If you do something, then you get something. Only Christianity suggests that God's love comes to us free of charge, no strings attached. This morning we're continuing our series, Living Grace, and we're on week two, so let's catch up on what we've talked about so far. Last week, Warren began this conversation about the idea of grace uh, in our church and our world. Grace is the central uh, to the message of Christianity and transforms our lives if we understand it. We don't need to earn our way to God. We just need to trust in Him. Last week we explored how our society is a performance reward system. I do some work for you and you pay me what I deserve. When a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's Uh, fair uh, wage for their time, well, that is called a wage. Uh, When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for their performance, that is a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for their long service or high achievements, that's an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize and deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyway, that is the grace of God. And that is central to what we believe. Longing to leave her poor Brazilian neighborhood, Christina wanted to see the world. Discontent with the home having only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin and a wood-burning stove, she dreamed of a better life in the city. One morning she slipped away, breaking her mother's heart. Knowing what life on the streets would be like for a young, attractive daughter, Maria hurriedly packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all that she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger... A human will do things that were before unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. She went to bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with the reputation for street walkers or prostitutes. She went to them all 
And at each place, she left her picture taped on the bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth, and on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures, her pictures had run out. Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that then young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was were tired. Her brown eyes would no longer dance with youth but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she longed to be back in that simple little village, sleeping on that pallet. Yet the little village was in too many ways too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was the compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Come home. She did. That is the story of God's grace towards us. We are like that child that has run away. And he has offered to us and said, whatever you've done, I love you so much, come home. And we get that opportunity. There is no loophole to exclude us from God's grace. See, ask most people what they have to do to be good, uh, do, to get to heaven. And they say, you have to be good. But Jesus doesn't say that at all. He contradicts this answer. He tells them all they must do is say, help. Titus 3 says it so well. Titus 3, 5 to 7. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. How awesome is this? He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. It's the story of salvation right there. The story of grace, of what Christ has done through his spirit and has made us new. Once we are saved, we are safe. We know that we have a secure eternity with God. And that's what we're talking about in this series. And that's what we covered last week. But you might ask, what then? All right, we're here today and we've, we've accepted that grace. We've accepted that forgiveness. I... Um, was involved with youth work uh, in the 90s. And during that time, we had a youth worker who came through our town. It was an evangelist. And he said, look, we're going to put on this big evangelism thing. It's going to be based around the movie Saving Private Ryan. And Saving Private Ryan is a powerful, powerful movie. It's also R16. So when we uh, kind of illegally clipped together different parts of it, we had to skip quite a lot of it because it's quite brutally violent if you know the movie. But the bit he really wanted to focus on is the bit a bit towards the end, where one of the main characters is dying. And he's been trying to save this young man. And as he's dying, he mutters these two words. He looks at him and he says, earn this. Earn this. And this was his great uh, evangelism message, was that Christ has done so much for us, and now we need to earn what he's done. 
And then as we were doing this, I thought, I don't know if I, is that right? Is that, is, that true? is that what grace is about? Christ has done everything for us, but now we've got to live our lives and somehow earn that back. I mean, is that even possible? Is it even possible to do that? Can we earn that back? And that's actually how many people approach their Christian lives. I've got to do everything God wants me to so I can somehow earn what he's already done for me. But that, this morning, let me tell you, is not the message of grace. That is not what Christ wants for us. It's not what he has for us. And this morning we want to talk about that a little bit as we go. Wouldn't it be great if you had the world's best expert help you with the problem? You know, you don't know what chess move to make. So you do a video call with uh, the great Magnus Carlsen or Bobby Fischer or one of those chess experts and they go knight to d5 and you're like, oh, of course, knight to d5. Or you're not quite sure how long to leave the stake of that thickness on. But you have Gordon Ramsay beside you and he's able to say, 20 seconds, 10 seconds, take it off, take it off. Yeah, and then you've got that expert. Or, or you want to do the best TikTok dance and so you have Charlie D. Amalio to help you. Okay, I, I don't know who that person is. I had to Google her. But apparently she has 86 million followers. Anyone? I knew Ignite was going to be in this morning. Anybody? No. Okay, I, I barely know what TikTok is. But uh, wouldn't it be great if you had the world's greatest expert to help you? Well, the great thing is that we do have the world's greatest expert to help us. We have the world's leader on grace. His name is Paul. He experienced God's extraordinary grace. He wrote transforming words about grace, and he faced a problem similar to what we face. You see, there is an area in Turkey known as Galatia, and Paul went through there and saw God's mercy and love transform people. But then another group came through and told them what Paul had said was wrong. They were known as Judaizers because they taught people that the basis for their relationship with God was following the Jewish ceremonial laws. They should become Jews to live right with God. And Paul is not impressed with this. Man, he gets angry. He gets really upset. And he has it out with them in a letter. And if you pick up the devotional notes this week, we encourage you to read that letter of Galatians. But he says to them, what you're telling people, you Judaizers, isn't the gospel. There is only one way to be right before God, and that is accepting God's gracious gift with faith. He tells the Galatians that this salvation is not just a one-time thing, but something for them to experience all the time. Galatians 3 verse 3 says, How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Because we're trying to earn this. Paul says, though, just as we've begun, we are to continue. We started being washed and reborn by the Spirit, so we should continue that way. That is what we want to encourage you to do today. If God's grace is alive in you, then live out of that grace in everything that you do. I'm convinced that there are two types of Christian. The first are those who are changed by the gracious gift of His Spirit and continue that way. They live in that grace. The second group begin in faith 
with what Jesus has done, but then they pretty much take their life back into their own hands. How do you know if you're in that second group? Well, let me give you five tests that might help to see how much these apply to you. The first one is this. You have a voice that tells you you're not good enough. You have a voice that tells you you're not good, uh, good enough. As much as you try to work to please God and others, you always feel like you fall short. And as a result, you're unacceptable. This is not living grace. I worked with a young person who was sullen and uncommunicative. He wouldn't make eye contact and he avoided conversations. I got to know him a little bit and found he was actually a really great guy. He was amazingly talented on the guitar and a loving person. His problem was that he had deep feelings of shame. He felt he was continually letting God down. And I asked him, I said, what are you doing that's letting God down? And either he, he couldn't tell me or he wouldn't tell me because every time he said, oh, I'm just not good enough. What are you doing? It's not what I'm doing. I just know I'm not good enough for God. He thought he would never measure up. And some of us have this voice in our head that says you're never good enough. You're never going to measure up to God. And we work to prove it wrong. Or we've just given in to the voice. And it resulted in hopelessness that we will never make anything of ourselves. The second thing is that you have to win to feel okay. The only way you know you are all right is if you come out on top. Whether it be in an argument, a game of checkers, or creating the best thing Instagram has ever seen, you have to win. You don't believe you're good enough unless you're the best. Number three might be that there are not enough hours in the day. And you've heard that phrase, I wish there were more hours in the day. And some people say this because their schedules are so full of kids' activities and church activities and life activities. Others say this because they have filled their life with busyness. Sleep seems like a waste. Rest is not productive. I don't watch TV or read or exercise, they say. I've got too much to do. It's that constant having to be doing something to know you're okay. The result is anxiety and stress. The fourth way you might know, if you're in this group who is trying to in some way earn what Jesus has done for you, is prayerlessness. Your prayers are infrequent or rushed. And this is not just about busyness, but it is because deep down you don't really see the point of prayers. You've got everything in hand, so why waste time with prayer? At the root of this idea is uh, this statement, if it is to be, it is up to me. I once heard this called 10 tiny words of power. Really, it's 10 tiny words of faithlessness, of a life not lived in God's grace. Number five, the fifth way you might know if this is you, is that you don't experience joy or peace. You reflect on your life and you realize those two things are missing. No joy, no peace. You're living, but you're missing out on these things. If you recognize yourself in any of these descriptions, then in some way we have stopped living from the grace of God, and I think it can happen to all of us. You're not living out of a faithful connection to the Spirit. Because grace recognizes we can never be good enough, but we have been accepted. Uh, we accept the fact that Jesus is good enough on our behalf. 
Grace says, I play to win, and I'm disappointed when I lose, but if, if I'm living from grace, it doesn't continue to sting, and I'm all right with myself. Grace recognizes that God is in control. I can work hard and rest because I'm not trying to prove anything. Grace moves me to prayer because that's where my fuel comes from. And also, grace, the greatest gift of grace, is God's Spirit. And that is what our expert Paul says in this letter to the people of Galatia. He tells them to continue to live out of the gift of God's Spirit. And here's the thing with that grace. Sometimes it might feel like a little bit of a, a get-out-of-jail-free card or a I-can-do-whatever-I-want card. But it's not that. The gracious gift we have received is God's Spirit. And when we wholeheartedly accept this gift, it changes us. Let's listen to our expert Paul again. Galatians 5, 16-17. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. See, if we are accepting this gift of grace, then it will change us. We will be transformed. Verse 17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Doesn't that verse describe our lives so well? There are times when we go, oh, I want to do something for God. And I sense God's Spirit leading me. But I also sense something inside of me pushing against that. We had to follow the guidance of the Spirit. The same Spirit who washed us clean and given to us by God's grace is alive in us to produce good things to come out of our lives. See, living the Christian life is a little bit like trying to climb a sheer cliff. At the top is the freedom of living life's Christ way. At the bottom is our selfish way of doing life. Many people try to climb to the top on their own, but then they find sections which are too complicated. They're impossible, and they can't get past. They either give up and fall to the bottom or stay climbing on this bottom section of the wall. But they're fighting against gravity. The grace of God is a rope that has been dropped down to us. We use this rope to get past the impossible sections. And sometimes we get past those sections, but that's where we stay. We disconnect them from the rope, trying to make it to the top with our own effort again. However, what God wants for us is to stay connected to the rope, coming in line with his spirit, scaling the wall one section at a time. Yes, we're still fighting the gravity that wants to pull us down, but we also have the Spirit who is helping us come up. We have these two forces fighting each other. We can see when we're giving in to that gravity in our lives. Paul continues in verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul describes the bottom of the hill living. Here is the abandonment to sexual sin, to religious sin, to social sin and drunken sin. You'll see those categories are there within that list. 
We all may identify a few of these, but with grace, we can begin to move away from this type of lifestyle. The problem is our our efforts to please God in our own strength result only in sinful behavior. And this is not consistent with someone who is called to live with God forever. However, when we live from the Spirit, things begin to change. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. If we are living from grace, then the results will begin to show in our lives. We have been empowered to live for Him. He has given us new strength and power. When we came to the cross and we said, I die to that way of living, we are then able to pick up the new way to which he will strengthen us to do. We have a new way of thinking, love and joy and peace. We express new qualities towards others, patience and kindness and goodness. We conduct ourselves differently, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. These lists get talked about a lot, often with a challenge to go out and do them almost like a checklist. But that's not how fruit works, right? Paul says, this is the fruit of the Spirit. If you were to talk to an orange tree, and you were to say to that orange tree, look, I want you to produce an apple. It wouldn't matter how much that orange tree, how much energy it put into it, how much it tried to think it through. It couldn't produce an apple. Instead, it would need to completely change its DNA. That's another way of saying for us that we need to become children of God and then we begin to live out of that reality. That's another way of saying the rope has been passed down to us. We need to grab it and climb the cliff. The grace of God is seen in the Spirit and how he's changed us. We are his children and we are connected with him. And as we stay connected with him, the vine and the branches, as we stay connected to him, then we produce his kind of fruit. Uh, Today's message has kind of been this explosion of stories and metaphors and analogies. And what I've been trying to communicate is this. The only way to live for Jesus is to embrace his grace. Spend time with God's spirit in prayer and let him change you. Let him change you. It's only through resting in God that we begin to be more like him, that we begin to experience some of that fruit. That's our job. That's what it looks like for us. Let me give you another analogy. I want you to imagine being married to a demanding, unhappy person. Don't look at your spouse right now. Every day they remind you how lucky you are that they married you. They give you an impossible list of jobs and they scold you when you inevitably fail to complete them. They often threaten to walk out, telling you that if you don't measure up, and they often tell you you don't measure up, they will leave you to be alone forever. 
That is how many people in our world view our relationship with God, even Christians. Yes, it's nice that he brought us, brought us close, but he sure is hard to live with. He's so demanding. If we don't measure up, oh man, we could be out quick as anything. As a result, they live a miserable, beaten down life. Now imagine another marriage. A marriage built on love. You love your spouse. You can look at them this time. You love your spouse. And they love you. There is a mutual giving and receiving. You do what pleases them because you love them. And you willingly give up yourself because you know they would do the same for you. This is what living in grace looks like. Jesus gave up everything for us. Because we're transformed and changed by that love, we choose to give ourselves up to him through the power of his spirit. The second marriage is distinctly different than the first and would be filled with things like love, joy, peace, patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Can I ask you today, which of these two relationships best represents your relationship with God? Do you look at your relationship with God and go, oh, I've got to measure up. I just feel so bad that I know I don't. Do you look at your relationship with God and say, I'm living for him because, man, he loves me. I love him. I want to do what pleases him because I know he is good and he has the best for me. Is God the stern taskmaster or is he your loving friend? Your answer to that might tell you where you are at in experiencing God's grace more than any other thing. Today what we want to do is we want to encourage a change of mindset one that moves from trying to complete tasks to one that relies on God's grace. And I ask you, can you move to that today? Yeah, it takes a little bit of both. It takes both our willing effort, but it is also a work of God's Spirit. We'll flick to that verse in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, I think, sums this up so well. Second half of verse 12. Work hard. To show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Now, I'll just stay there for a sec. Because I think for some of us, we look at that verse and we go, well, that's the earnest method. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Isn't that the, the taskmaster approach? What does the next verse say? Verse 13. For God is working in you. He's not saying, just go out there and live for me. Do your best. You've got to show that you're good enough. No, God is involved in that process. While we're working, he's working. While we're doing what he wants, he's within us by his spirit doing something, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He gives you the desire to follow him. He gives you the power then to follow up and do that as well. 
There is a both and in play here. We are both working our salvation out. And God is working in us to make that happen. What a partnership. What a gift of God's grace that we can be like him because he has empowered us to do so. Can you stand to your feet this morning? Uh, actually, stay seated. I'll just ask the band to come up behind me. We're going to take communion together. And it's a bit awkward if you're standing while we're passing that. So stay seated. So can they, those who are distributing communion, could you guys please distribute that now? That'd be fantastic. We're going to take the cup. We're going to take the bread. We're going to hang on to it together. And we're going to take it together in a second. But I guess those are the two questions as we gather around the communion table this morning and we consider God's grace. The first question is this. What is your perspective on God, your relationship with God? Is he your loving friend or your stern taskmaster? This morning, as we take communion, might be a time to reflect on that and change that. Thank you very much. Thank you. To see that changed. To see God become who he is supposed to be in your life. And the second question is this. What change, what fruit of the Spirit would you love to see pouring out of you right now? You look at that list and maybe even that list of the things that come from the uh, sinful nature and you go, you know what, I struggle with too many of those. I need to work out my salvation, but I need God's help to do it. I can't do this on my own. I need the help of God's Spirit to see some of these things begin to disappear even a little bit more. It's a process. It doesn't all happen at once. It's a process. And also, what is that, that fruit of the Spirit that at the moment you're going, oh, I need more joy in my life. Ah, oh, I just need, I need more faithfulness. I love self-control. This morning, as we come around the communion table, we're going to bring these things to God. That he would change our mindset. That we would have a revelation of his grace. And that we would live in it every single day. Do you know Jesus' last words on the cross? We're not earn this. Can you imagine that? Jesus is dying on the cross and he looks out at humanity and he says, earn this. Those weren't his last words. What were Jesus' last words on the cross? It is finished. In other words, in this moment, I have won for you everything that you need to have salvation, to live with me for eternity. But more than that, I have one, everything that you need to live this life. And he brought his spirit, the great gift of his spirit, to wash us and make us clean. Washing of rebirth and renewal. And he's given us that spirit 
looked at and he would say that his grace is sufficient for you. It's enough for everything that you're going through, for everything that you're facing, for all of your failures, his grace is enough. For all of the places you struggle, his grace is enough. For all of your good days, we still rest and rely upon his grace. He's empowered us. So this morning, as we gather around the communion table, as we spend time focusing, reflecting on God, we're going to take the bread, we're going to take the cup in remembrance of him. But it's also a celebration. Celebration that this grace that we've experienced in our salvation is a grace that we live in every day. And it's a receiving of His Spirit to change us and make us more like Him. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.